Uh, my name is Bryce, and I'm in the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, let me invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. We're continuing our series, The Beautiful Sacrifice, this morning, looking at um, the way the Bible shows us the beauty of Jesus in his sacrifice. And this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. If you're following uh, with me in one of the blue church Bibles, you can find Isaiah 6 on page 571. Let me invite you to stand with me as we give our attention to God's Word this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched his mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, for just um, the next few moments, would you give us the ears to hear what you are saying to your church? Uh, Through these ancient words, God, would we get a glimpse of your glory and your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, have you ever had a moment, an experience, uh, caught a glimpse of something that just absolutely took your breath away? I'm sure each of us have had uh, many, many things that would fit that category. I could tell you um, so many stories myself. I could tell you about uh, the first time we went to Dunodder Castle in Scotland, which is off the west or the east coast of Scotland, and it's this rock that sits and juts out into the, the North Sea. And you walk down across the beach and up the hill and through this tunnel. And I remember walking up into this place, and it was a sunny day for once in Scotland. And you're surrounded by green grass and the glory of this ruined castle. And it literally just took my breath away. Um, I could tell you about skiing in Powder Mountain in the north of Utah and getting off the chairlift and going over the backside of the mountain and looking out and seeing as far as you can see just pristine, untouched, white snow. And it's so quiet. It's beautiful. And skiing down into knee-deep powder snow. I mean, 
this side of heaven, I don't know if anything gets any better than that. <laughs> I could tell you about um, after 24 hours of labor and just the confusion and, and uncertainty that that brings, the doctor handing me my first son and just taking my breath away. My doctor said, he's a little blonde. <laughs> and he is. Breathtaking, glorious. We've all had these moments, these experiences, um, these, these times when we, we see something that just feels so uh, magnificent, so, mag- uh, yeah, so important, so weighty. I mean, that's, that's what glory means. It means, it means weighty. And as human beings, we, we long for glory. Um, we, long, we long for it. Glory is uh, what we feel uh, when we feel that, um, that palpable tension in the air, when a crowd of people watches in silence as Tiger Woods hits a golf ball. Glory is what we long for. It's the hunger that one day something will happen and we will finally be discovered. We will finally be recognized. We crave glory, but what we experience so much of the time is something different, isn't it? Glory always uh, seems fleeting. We long for glory, but we experience frustration and confusion. We experience sin and brokenness and shame. Shame is, shame is the antithesis of glory. Shame is the sense, not just that there's something wrong in the world, but that I am wrong in the world. Shame is the sense of being caught, of being found out. Shame is, is what a husband feels when his wife catches him looking at pornography. Shame is what a mom feels uh, when she just, in a moment of frustration, lays into her kids. Shame is what we feel when we do that thing that we swore we would never do again. And yet there it is. And we're exposed and we feel naked. We long for glory and yet all too often what we experience is shame. And yet we all live with this dream, this hope that that someday something will change. Uh, It's woven into our beings, this sense that one day, the glory that we experience just in a glimpse, just in fleeting moments, something will change and the glory will finally come. It will be be permanent, it will be lasting. It's woven into our beings. um, I think that sense that one day glory will come and remain, it was... um, that reality that we all sense was, has been expressed in the history of the United States. I mean, that's what the Union soldiers sang in their encampments in the Civil War. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That's what our African-American brothers and sisters longed for. In their struggle and fight for freedom and equality, one day, when the glory comes, it will finally be ours. We're going to get through this <laughs> We hunger for glory. And that's what 
the scriptures testify to as well, that one day, when the glory comes, justice will flow down like mighty waters. Um, That's what the scriptures testify to. And that's what Isaiah caught a glimpse of one day in the year that King Uzziah died. Now you have to understand some of the context here because the year that King Uzziah died was the end of an era. Um, it, was, it marked the end of a period of unprecedented prosperity for the people of Judah, the people of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah had, or Uzziah rather, had become king when he was 16 years old and he had reigned for 52 years. And so for over half a century, um, there was this period of peace and stability and with that came prosperity. And uh, God's people experienced a time of plenty. Uh, There was plenty of food and plenty of spare time and life was good and yet what often happens in times of affluence is that we get fat and we get lazy. And um, towards the end of his reign, Uzziah had flaunted and mocked the holiness of God. And in response, God punished him by striking him with leprosy. Now the irony is that what do affluent people want? They don't want to feel pain. And that's exactly what leprosy is. Leprosy is the inability to feel pain, and so you don't know your limits, and so you injure yourself, and your body starts to fall apart. And that's what happened to Uzziah, and so Uzziah died, and the nation of Judah stood on a precipice at a crossroads, wavering, wondering, what will happen now that this period of stability and peace has come to an end? We have to just pause and say, I mean, there's some obvious overlaps with our time, isn't, isn't, aren't there? You know, for the last, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 years, we live in a country that for the last 50 or 60 years, most of the world would have longed to live in. And yet something feels like it's changed. And people argue on TV and the internet about what exactly has changed, but the bottom line is that we stand on a precipice And I want you to look with me at this truly epic passage that shows us what happens when the glory comes. Isaiah has a vision, and he saw as the people of God stood wavering on this precipice, wondering, will we move forward into glory or will we fall backward into shame? Will the shifting circumstances of life uh, lead us higher into the good life or not? When that was on everyone's mind, Isaiah saw the Lord seated on his throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Isaiah caught a glimpse of the glory of God. And in this, in this passage, we get an account of what it, is, what it looks like when we get a glimpse of God's glory, of God's goodness. And we see that these moments that move us and then are gone, these experiences we long for but we can never really capture are like, The moon, they're not the real thing. They're just reflected glory. And that's why they're fleeting. Here we see not a glory that is fleeting, but the glorious one himself. The Lord God Almighty seated on the throne. He is the source of true glory. 
And uh, Isaiah 6 shows us that, that the glory of the Lord is revealed in two ways, at least in this passage. He is glorious because he is high and lifted up. He is exalted. He is, in a sense, above the fleeting circumstances. The fact that the king has died does not affect the glory of the Lord. He rules and he reigns. He is seated on his throne. God is the same. And I think we kind of understand what that means. Um, This is why I think we are obsessed with celebrity. Um, Because there's this sense that celebrities are people who are sort of above it all. They don't deal with the things that us commoners deal with. And we, you know, that's why we're all drawn to celebrity. Now, you might be the kind of person who thinks that's tacky, but you just have other, like, less popular celebrities that you look to. Um, And we're drawn to these people. When I was uh, 13 years old, my grandparents were incredibly generous, and they had made it a practice to take their grandchildren to Europe uh, when we became teenagers. And so I spent a week on a cruise ship um, in the Mediterranean, and on that boat there was like one other kid my age. And also we discovered that Sean Astin was on that boat, okay? And you know who Sean Astin is? He was in, um, well, he was Samwise Gamgee. Um, oh. Now, this was before The Lord of the Rings, but he was Rudy, and he was in Memphis Belle, and he yeah. was in Goonies. Yeah. And uh, we discovered that Sean Astin was on this boat, and so me and this kid whose name I can't remember um, wrote this letter. And we like slipped it under his door. And somehow, Sean Astin, I think, was on his honeymoon. And somehow we ended up playing blackjack for quarters with Sean Astin for about an hour and a half. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Why is that so awesome? Because we long for glory. We long to be in the presence of greatness, people who seem to just transcend over our normal little lives and circumstances. And that's what we see here, that God is the one who is high and lifted up. He is glorious. But we also see that God's glory endures. God's glory truly lasts. Um, When we think of these moments, these things, whether it's the birth of a child or a promotion or a vacation, they're fleeting, right? They never seem to last. In fact, that's what makes us you know, all the more hungry for glory because it never seems to last. And yet here we see the image of a gl- the glorious one himself and his glory is enduring. Isaiah sees God seated on the throne and it says the train of his robe filled the temple. It's an image of God uh, robed in glory and majesty. And the train of his robe is unending. It is long. It is uh, is enduring. C.S. Lewis, I read his essay, The Weight of Glory, this week, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And um, C.S. Lewis says that the problem so often is that the glory we experience seems to take no notice of us. That's why it seems like glory is fleeting. You know, we might go to a, have you ever been to a concert that just is so moving and you, you walk out and you've got to explain to all of your friends why this was so, oh, but the concert took no notice of you. Uh, you see a movie that is a moving and you want everybody to see it, but the movie takes, you're a stranger to that movie. We meet glory in passing, but we are strangers to it. But the glory that Isaiah glimpsed is glory that doesn't fade. 
When you encounter the glory of God himself, it will collide with everything in you and it will change everything about you. And this is how C.S. Lewis describes the experience of a Christian entering finally into the glory of God's presence. He says, glory means good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. It's being let into the inner circle. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. Apparently, then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. Now, I don't know about you, but that resonates deeply with me. This sense that there is something wrong with the world and I've been cut off from the heart of it and I'm nostalgic for it even though I don't know what it is. And when we meet, when we see the glory of God and we finally ultimately enter into that glory, it will be like the door has finally opened and we are no longer cut off from the source of glory. That is beautiful. That is stunning. That, that is glorious. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Well, how does Isaiah respond to this glimpse of the glory of God? Well, his response, I think, on one hand, makes absolutely no sense to us. And yet it totally makes perfect sense. Let me explain what I mean. From the standpoint of um, most of us in the room as, um, you know, comfortable, affluent people who live in America, it makes no sense. Um, but from the standpoint of somebody who's actually encountered the holiness of God, this is exactly what the experience would feel like. Um, how would we respond? Well, uh, we see the glory of God. We think, well, awesome, great, finally. Yes, this is it. But if you ever actually see the pure, unveiled goodness of God, we would respond like Isaiah does. Woe is me. Oh, my goodness, I am I'm in trouble. What am I going to do? Isaiah curses himself. And what's happening here is, have you ever had a moment like this where you've sort of been caught by your own words? Not that somebody has like convicted you or made you feel bad, but words have come out of your mouth, and as they come out, you can't hide from them. Uh, I have a friend who um, is a pastor, and when he was in seminary, he had this professor that was just brilliant, and he was talking, he told me this story once that we were in class and we took a break in the middle of this three-hour lecture. And, I, and he says, I went into the bathroom with my friends, uh, you, know, you know, bathroom break, and, and I'm in there and I'm talking about how brilliant our professor is. And, and I, um, my friend is saying, I wanted to just raise my hand and ask him, how can I be more like you and less like me? <laughs> and he says, but the reason I don't is because I know what he would say. He would say, well, there's 27 reasons, really. And then he would enumerate them in his proper British accent. And he said, right as he said that, he heard this flush. And the stall opened, and the professor walked out and looked at him. Now, I guess that's not the end of the world because he's complimenting him, but I couldn't bring myself to tell you any of the stories where I've said something like that and I was caught in a 
less favorable sort of way. Um, we can't hide, we can't explain away who we are. We are caught by our own words, and that's what happens when the glory comes. When we see the God who is clean, we feel dirty. When we see the God who is light, we want to hide. Another friend of mine, um, another pastor friend of mine, was talking about being uh, in this uh, kind of retreat setting with with other friends who they get together once a year to kind of catch up and care for each other and pray together. And, um, and my friend said, you know, I'm still struggling with my approval idol. I need others' approval, and if I don't have it, I feel like I'm worthless. I feel like I'm a bad person. And he said in that setting, a friend said to him, you know, Bart, I've known you for 10 years now. And you have said that same thing for 10 years. And I think that maybe you don't know how unholy your sin actually is. I don't think you have any idea just how deep it goes. And so the question for us is, what would a friend who loves you say to you in that moment? What do you need someone to tell you because our instinct is to hide, right? Our instinct is to just sort of minimize our sin, to hide, to run from our brokenness, to um, turn our back on our shame, to compare ourselves to other people. You know, we tell ourselves, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm just sort of like an angry person. Like, that's just, it's just kind of my personality. You know, it's like a personality thing. but do you have any idea how much your anger hurts the people who love you we say you know I'm just struggling with resentment I'm just having a hard time forgiving people and you know um, forgiveness is hard but unforgiveness is like a time bomb waiting to go off We want to hide from our sin. We don't want to see it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We just want to explain uh, explain it away. But God, the God of glory, exposes who we really are. We are caught by our own words and actions. But look at God's response. It's not to shame us. God doesn't kind of call out our brokenness to make us feel awful about who we are. But he calls us out to cleanse us. And what happens in Isaiah 6 is that he sends this angel, and the angel takes a coal from the fire on the altar, and the coal, with the coal, he touches Isaiah's mouth and proclaims that Isaiah is clean. Now think about this. Why does, why does he touch Isaiah's lips? Well, what did Isaiah just say? When he sees the glory of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then the angel takes the coal and touches Isaiah's lips. What's all this talk like? Why the mouth thing? Well, think about what Isaiah does. He's a prophet. He's a professional talker. And so it's in this place of not just who, what he does for a living, but the place of his deepest identity where he is most keenly aware of his brokenness. And it's exactly in that place where he finds healing. The reason that we can be honest before God about who we really are is this. Because when we are honest about who we really are, that's where God heals us. 
And so the angel takes a coal from the altar. The altar is this place where sacrifice was made, where an innocent animal would take the place of a guilty sinner. It's this place where one who is clean paid the price for one who is dirty. And the angel takes the coal and he puts it on Isaiah's mouth and he says, you are clean, you are healed. Your sin has been paid for. Your relationship with God has been restored. You are complete. You are clean, you are healed. And that's what we come to worship to experience. You know, we don't come to worship, we don't come to church every week and confess our sin in order to just, because God really likes people to feel bad about themselves. We come and we confess, we're honest about who we are because that's when healing happens. It's when we confess that we are cleansed. We come to worship every week because it's the only place we can go every week to be honest about who we really are and hear not shame and response, but to hear good news. You're forgiven. You are cleansed. God loves you. We come to be reminded of the cross where Jesus gave up his glory, where he hung in shame, where God turned his back on the son he loves. Why? In order to glorify us. I mean, do you understand? Uh, that's a really big deal. <laughs> do you understand what the cross is all about? There's this place in John 17 where Jesus, he's about to go to the cross and he prays. And it's the one place where, where kind of uh, Jesus, Jesus really begins to pray for himself. And he, and he prays for you too. But he, he, what he's essentially saying in John 17 is he's praying, Jesus is praying, Father, you and I have been glorifying each other forever. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist for all eternity in a relationship of endless self-glorification. Where God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit submit to one another and affirm one another and praise one another and glorify one another. And the story of the Bible is not about as the story of a God who creates us because he needs more people to praise him and glorify himself. It's the story of a God who creates us in order to extend his glory. God doesn't create to get something from us. He creates in order to give glory away. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus hangs on the cross. The one who is robed in glory and majesty hangs shamefully naked and alone. Why is the glorious one being abandoned? Why is he experiencing shame? On the cross, Jesus gives his glory away. He takes our shame in order to glorify us. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus leaving the glory of heaven, leaving the glory of the Father, coming to earth, taking our shame, giving us his glory. You know, we're stuck in this cycle of sin and guilt and shame. Last night I was driving home. I was thinking about this. I was literally thinking about what I just said. And a driver cut me off. And I said, what an idiot. And that's exactly what we do. We feel bad about ourselves and we look at somebody else doing exactly the same thing and go, what is wrong with that person? And so in our shame, we shame others. It's been said that hurting people hurt people. Mm. 
Wounded people wound people. Ashamed people shame people. And so the question is, how are we ever going to stop that cycle? And the only solution can be that one who is not ashamed can step in. The one who is actually the source of glory can step into that cycle and break it. We can no more shame ourselves out of shame than we can be our own source of life. But Jesus steps into our humanity and interrupts the cycle. And in doing so, he lays aside his glory. He takes our shame in order to give us glory. That's the good news. Jesus comes and lifts our faces and says to me, to us, my child, you were created for glory. You deserve punishment, but I have come to take your punishment to give you glory. Jesus comes to fully bring us the glory that Isaiah could only glimpse. Jesus comes to invite us into the inner circle, the life of God himself. That's what the cross is all about. If we glimpse the glory of Jesus, then we will know that we are unworthy. And yet we will experience the deep, deep cleansing of Jesus himself. Now, what do you think uh, the result would be of that exchange? What, what result would take place in me if I were to truly experience the cleansing that comes from knowing the glory of God? Well, look again at Isaiah. He's been cleansed by the coal, and he says, uh, he's been, Isaiah's been cleansed, and, and God says, who shall we send and who will go for us? And when he hears that question, it's like Isaiah has discovered himself for the first time. He says, here I am, and send me. In glimpsing the glory of God, he's been cleansed, he's been renewed, and he's discovered that he has a mission, he has a purpose, he has a, a task, and God is sending him out into the world to accomplish it. Listen, if you are hungry for glory, you will go out into the world desperate. But if you are full of the glory that comes from God himself, then you will go out into the world full. Uh, think about a sponge. What does a sponge pick up? Anything it touches, right? An empty, dry sponge will take into itself anything it encounters. But if you take that sponge and you drop it in a bucket of water and it's filled and charged with water, and you take it out and you move it around, it's going to drip all over the place, isn't it? And that's exactly the way that you work. If you are empty and hungry for glory, you will go out into the world and you will suck in anything that you encounter. I saw this headline this week. <laughs> I wanted to be an Instagram star, but I ended up a financial wreck. Woman, 26, reveals how her debt spiraled as she paid for luxury holidays, the best clothes, and amazing restaurants on her quest to be a social media star. I mean, that's tragic. And some of us think it's a little bit funny, right? <laughs> What's going on? Why would that ever happen? Because you cannot be the source of your own glory. And if you go out into the world seeking to be glorious, the only thing that will be majestic is the size of the mess that you create. 
and maybe the elaborate schemes that you concoct to hide it from other people. If we go out into the world hungry, we fill ourselves with anything, but if you go out into the world full, like a sponge, I mean, imagine, you know, you take a sponge and try to transport water across the room and you're leaking it all. It's, if you go out in the world full of the glory of God, you're going to get it all over everything, aren't you? Sir. And you're exactly the same way. It's been so beautiful for me as your pastor to watch many of you do this. Um, in the past couple of years, I have seen people come into this room like dry sponges and slowly be filled and go out and leak the glory of God, give it away. And some of you know the story of the family that um, became foster parents in the hope of adopting a little girl. And it's been a beautiful story um, to watch. In a culture that we live in where, I mean, the size of my house is like the clearest indication of my worth. And so we are surrounded by people and we ourselves are people who want to buy the biggest house we can and then build a wall around it. And we tell ourselves we have to have these granite kitchens because we're going to entertain people, but we never practice hospitality. In that culture, to see a family say, no, we're actually going to invite a little girl into our home. And we're going to give away, we are going to give ourselves away for the sake of someone's far less fortunate than us. I mean, that alone is beautiful. And the journey began, I think, as just an opportunity to expand their family. And that alone would have been beautiful, but in the process, God has been working in the hearts of these people. And what began is simply the desire to expand their family has turned into a mission to rescue another family. And many of you read this on Facebook a couple weeks ago. This mom said, today I sit outside the jail watching as a stranger slash social worker took our little girl inside to spend time with her father, who's in custody. It didn't seem right to me that she should have to go through that, but I'm reminded of how important it is that her father knows that there's a little girl depending on him to get his life together. And as I sat outside the jail... I saw multiple social workers bouncing babies on their hips as they took them inside to see their parents. And they look just as uncomfortable as I do about this whole thing. It's a sad truth that we are surrounded by brokenness and there are days that the heaviness and discomfort weighs on me and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to spend any more time with an addict waiting for her to find the strength to choose what's good. I don't want to sit in a jail parking lot. It's Thursday, and there are other things I should be doing. And then I realized that this world isn't about me or my comfort. God has not destined us for a life of comfort. 
And now in the midst of moments that, of this moment that seems so terrible, I can see people coming around this family, supporting them and encouraging them so that one day these three people can be a family again. It's taken four months, but I think I'm finally starting to see. Now, guys, that is absolutely insane. <laughs> Unless the gospel is true. I mean, why would you bring any of that into your house unless the whole point of creation is that there is a God who created to give away his glory and he brings us into the inner circle of his glory and then calls us to give that glory away in the world. And yet you know that that's a beautiful story and that means that the gospel has to be true. Those who are full of the glory of God cannot help give it away. So what about you? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been giving away these beautiful sacrifice journals, and I just have a couple of simple questions for you to write down. And simply this, have you seen the glory? Have you experienced the glory of the God who came to give away his glory? And then secondly, are you giving it away yourself? Have you experienced the glory of God? Are you giving it away? You know, last night was St. Patrick's Day. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. What's St. Patrick's Day all about? You know, it's about drinking a lot of Guinness. Uh, It's about getting pinched if you're not wearing green. Why do we celebrate St. Patrick? Well, he like cast all the snakes out of Ireland or or something, right? Do you know who St. Patrick was? I'm going to finish with this. Um, St. Patrick was an English man. And when he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped and um, taken hostage, and he was, he was taken as a slave to Ireland. And for six years, he was worked uh, as a slave until he finally escaped. And he ran away and was able to get back home to Ireland. And when he got back home, or sorry, back home to England. And when he got back to England, he met Jesus. And he encountered the glory that Isaiah glimpsed. And he became a priest. And instantly, St. Patrick knew that he had to give that glory away. And so he went back to Ireland, to the pagan people that had taken him as a slave and had used him and abused him to tell them about the glory of the one who came to give his own glory away. That's why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. So if you want to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, Guinness is great. (laughs) But we really would celebrate St. Patrick's Day by getting a glimpse of the God who came to give us his glory. And then by becoming people who talk together about, hey, what would it look like to actually give his glory away to others? That's the beauty of what Isaiah saw hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the year that King Uzziah died. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for this beautiful image that Isaiah uh, captures for us. And God, as people who live on the other side of the cross, we see even more clearly the depth of your sacrifice, that you were willing to give up your own son in order to give your glory away and heal us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that for any of us here who have never truly glimpsed the glory of your goodness, God, would you help us just to glimpse it this morning? And would we respond like Isaiah by confessing our sin and knowing the healing forgiveness of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. And God, for those of us who have um, followed you for years, we confess that so often the glory doesn't seem that bright. And life is hard. And we get bogged down and we get bored. God, would you renew in us this sense um, an awareness of your gloriousness. Would you fill us with your glory so that like a sponge we couldn't help hold it all in, but that it would make a mess and get all over everything that we touch. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.